Good morning, church, and welcome to our online church service. I hope you're doing well. I miss you all, and I miss uh, being with everyone. Hopefully, this will not be a uh, long-term thing. Our passage this morning comes from Ruth, chapter 3, from verses 14 to 18. If you have not listened to last week's uh, sermon, this is a continuation of that. It might be worth uh, having a look um, at that. I've also created a uh, podcast uh, channel for us as a church. Um, so if you go to the ch- in the church newsletter, you'll be able to see that and you can listen to the previous uh, sermon on Ruth chapter 3. Let us read together. So she lay at his feet until morning, but got up before anyone could be recognized. And he said, No one must know that a woman came to the threshing floor. He also said, Bring me the shawl you are wearing and hold it out. When she she did so, he poured into it six measures of barley and placed the bundle on her. Then he went back to town. When Ruth came to her mother-in-law, Naomi asked, How did it go, my daughter? Then she told her everything Boaz had done for her and added, He gave me six measures of barley, saying, Don't go back to your mother-in-law empty-handed. Then Naomi said, Wait, my daughter until you find out what happens. For the man will not rest until the matter is settled today. Let us pray and ask God for help. Heavenly Father, help us this morning to hear your word. Help us to desire to obey your word. I'm reminded, Lord, of uh, St. Augustine, who said, Give us the grace, O Lord, to obey you. Indeed, when your word are, words are obeyed, it is from you that you get, you get the grace to obey them. Pray that that will be true of us this morning. Where we are in this cold, in this uh, dark period in our country and in the world, may you shine a light on us. And remind us of your promises and help us to be people who wait patiently for the Lord. I pray and ask God of this in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the hardest things to do for the modern man or the woman is to wait. We hate waiting. We hate waiting in lines. We hate waiting on traffic. We hate waiting for information. That is why we have booking systems and we have uh, apps on our phones that tell us how much traffic there is uh, before it gets to work or to the uh, destination. That is why we have uh, the, the Encyclopedia Britannica, the books that you used to have as kids, are uh, no longer published anymore because all the information is available at the palm of our hands. You want, to, you want it now. Technology has provided a life of instant gratification. Think about it. Our kids now understand seasons not by what the seasons may 
provide in terms of food, but also just by the weather. Everything is available all the time. If you want mangoes in the summer, winter or autumn, you can get them. Because the refrigeration and transportation technology has meant that none of us has to wait for the harvest anymore. We have the ability to get it now. We say time is money. We don't like to see our time wasted by others. But the Christian life, brothers and sisters, is a life characterized by waiting. Christian life is a life characterized by waiting. There is an order to the Lord's commands. There is an order to those commands in that sometimes he says you have to wait until this time, until this has happened, for you to act in this way. Take, let's take sex for an example. Sex is a good and wonderful thing that God has created. But in the Lord's command, he has said, sex should ought to be enjoyed in a God-glorifying manner only in marriage. Which means that from your teenage years, when your longing starts to increase, you have to wait until you are married. And secondly, we are people of the promise. The promise that all things work together for good. So therefore we ought to wait and see things work together for good. When a terrible thing happens, the godly thing for a Christian is to wait on the Lord and see how, what the Lord has to teach the Christian about that circumstance. There is a promise that all things work together for good. And that involves waiting. There's a promise that no good thing that we withhold from those whose work is blameless. And that involves waiting. As people who live on this side of the cross, that is, after the crucifixion and resurrection of our Lord Jesus, we are waiting for his coming. The psalmist put it like this in Psalm 130, verses 3 to 6. It says, If you, O Lord, kept a record of sins, Lord, who could stand? But with you there is forgiveness, so that we can with reverence serve you. I will wait for the Lord. My whole being waits, and in his word I put my hope. I will wait for the Lord more than the watchman waits for the morning. More than the watchman waits for the morning. Israel, put your hope in the Lord. For the Lord is unfading love. And with him is full redemption. We see in this psalm that uh, for, for, for Israel, they are called to wait on God. Because Waiting for him means experiencing that unfailing love. Experiencing that full redemption of God. You will not experience that if you are unwilling to wait. We have now come to uh, verses 14 to 18 of Ruth chapter 3. 
And you have seen so far in Ruth uh, chapter 3 where it says the, the, the faithful shall act. This is 1 to 9. We saw Ruth and Naomi faithfully doing something about their circumstances. Yes, trust in God, but trust in God while acting. The action from Naomi was to initiate this meeting between uh, Ruth and Boaz, sending her to go and lie down at his feet. You may be uh, suspicious of her actions. The text does not say that the, the, the actions of Naomi are good and uh, commendable. She may not have acted in a wise manner, but the Lord used her action for his purposes. The, the main point is the fact that she acted. She did something. That's what trusting God is. Is that God will use this man, Boaz, to rescue them from the difficulties that they find themselves in. So, she sends Ruth and, say, and says, Go to this man, Boaz, who has shown kindness to, to you. Light his feet. He is a relative of ours and therefore has the responsibility to redeem this family. And Ruth does that. We saw again in verses 10 to 13 that the faithful shall act selflessly. The faithful shall act selflessly. Boaz, the righteous man here, well that is, we've seen that in chapter 2 um, at the beginning, Boaz, the righteous man, does not take advantage of Ruth. Instead, instead he seeks to do right by her and honor the Lord. He is flattered by the offer, but knows that there is someone who is uh, closer to, to the family than him. And he promises that you will be redeemed, Ruth and Naomi. Someone will uh, come in and marry you. It may not be me, maybe someone else, but this thing will happen. And now we're seeing this morning from verses 14 to 18 that the faithful, they wait on the Lord. The faithful wait on the Lord. That is the third point of, uh, of chapter 3. The faithful wait on the Lord. From this point on, Boaz takes the lead in providing closure to this encounter. First, he nips the rumors in the bud and says, Don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. One can easily imagine the impression that this meeting would create among the Bethlehemites, especially in today's media. You can see the headlines. An old man victimized by a seductive morbidess. A secret lover's date comes to light. Or the widowed morbidess seeks hard-working men of character for long walks in the barley fields and quiet evenings. She must really want children. The situation that Ruth and Boaz are in is precarious and has a potential to destroy both the reputations of both Naomi and uh, Ruth. 
Naomi is the one who sent her to do this. And Ruth could be, could be perceived as a loose woman. And we see here what Boaz does is that he seeks to protect her. He says, don't let it be known that a woman came to the threshing floor. Situation was not ideal, yes. But let's not make the situation worse. No sin was committed here. So therefore there is no reason why the that the suspicion of sin should cause harm to both Naomi or Ruth. So Boaz took care of this. But also he shared with, with Ruth from the party of the harvest by giving her six measures of barley. Then he went back to town, that is, to take care of the matter, as we will see in chapter 4. We also see that he sent Ruth back as a messenger to Naomi, that her empty-handed days were now over. Remember in chapter 1, verse 21, where she said, the Lord uh, sent me at full, but I've been brought back empty. Those days are now over. She came back to Bethlehem empty, but now the Lord is meeting all of her needs through Ruth and Boaz. Having done all of this, will the Lord withhold a descendant for Naomi? Certainly not. In view of that, there is hope in Boaz's earlier response that there is a Redeemer closer than I. God will provide for her, either through this Redeemer, who's closer than Boaz, or through Boaz himself. Events have come full circle, as it were, at the end of chapter 3. As in chapter 2, Naomi has the last word again. Instructions on Ruth's next move. At the outset, she had formulated a risky plan. Now she has she cancelled a patient waiting. The yes of a righteous man is a yes. Boaz will do something about this. She knew Boaz was a righteous man, a man of his word. So she cancelled her. That is Ruth to wait on the Lord to provide for her needs. Wait, let's wait until we see what happens. We see in verses 18. For the man will, will, will remain inactive until the matter, will not remain inactive until the matter is settled today. You have captured this righteous man's heart. Therefore, be assured that he'll give himself no rest until this matter has been sorted out on this very day. In conclusion, Ruth chapter 3 compels us to ask ourselves this question. What are I willing to risk? And for what reason are we willing to risk it? We see here Naomi and Ruth risking everything, risking their reputation in confidence that God will redeem through Boaz. 
picking a great act of faith. What are we willing to risk? We take risks all the time. We take risks for the sake of fun, to receive a promotion or having a family or People are willing to put up with all kinds of discomfort and costs. People climb mountains, they cross seas, they take long walks. For all kinds of reasons. But what are we willing to risk for the sake of the gospel? For the sake of the, of the redemption of the masses who are still wallowing in sin. What are we willing to risk? Not for our redemption. Because our redemption has come... Uh, to us in Christ, but for the redemption of others. For most of us, the answer is probably not very much. We're not willing to risk our lives or our health or our reputation or our comfort, our friends, our family for the sake of the gospel. The most obvious proof of our resistance to spiritual risk lies in our unwillingness to talk to others about God. Never mind putting our reputations at risk at midnight during a barley harvest like Ruth did. We wouldn't risk being considered odd by our friends because we talk to them about Jesus, over a cup of coffee or on WhatsApp. We all have our excuses. Sharing our faith might cost us friends, our reputation, People might think of us weird. Ruth and Barbara's put everything in the line for the sake of family redemption. And little did they know that it was for the sake of the entire human race. Their risk, obedience to God, led to the birth of a king who would become a descendant of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord works through human faithfulness and obedience to bring about his redemption. Amen. God has said through Micah in chapter 6 verse 8 that he is not interested in their burnt offerings, but rather that what he requires from them is to act justly, to love faithfulness and walk humbly with their God. What we see in Ruth chapter 3 is a model of that. God requires faithfulness above all else. He requires faithfulness. And he uses faithfulness to achieve his purposes. This book challenges us to rethink the depth of our character, our goals as people, the identity of the God in whom we worship. All of these things come together at this point. Here's Boaz and here's Ruth. They find themselves in a compromising situation, yet they come out unstained by sin, showing loyalty to God, righteousness, and faithfulness. They are under no obligation to commit themselves to the redemption of Elimelech's family. Yet they went out of their way, setting aside their personal preferences for the sake of Naomi and her family. Such a picture of selfless concern 
for the needs of others is what we see in Philippians chapter 2 verses 1 to 11. A selfless concern that considers others better than oneself. A selfless concern that led Christ to the cross. He did not consider his equality with God, but rather he emptied himself to being a slave and humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death on the cross. That is what Christ did. He put our interest ahead of his. His face was disfigured beyond recognition for our sake, that we might have life and life to the full. What are we willing to risk when we have a Savior who has done so much for us? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, indeed, you are a gracious and loving God. Your Son, Jesus Christ, is a model of faithfulness. One who did not choose equality with God or something to be grasped, but rather gave himself up for us. That we may have redemption. Lord, help us to emulate him, to follow after him, and to desire the redemption of others and to act on that. I pray and ask all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.